Hello everyone, Rob here in the Bunker Studio. Today's Highlands Bunker podcast features former Delaware State News reporter Matt Biddle. We chat about this past General Assembly session, the seventh one he's covered, and we discuss his new gig as the Public Affairs Officer for Planned Parenthood of Delaware. Matt's a good dude. Uh, I appreciate him taking the time to come in, and I wish him all the best in his new role. I also have some exciting news uh, this week. Uh, This weekend, we're going to be releasing the second half of last week's conversation with activist Ty Greer. This will be our first patrons-only bonus episode. Patrons at any level will have access to this fun and frank conversation. So go to patreon.com slash thehighlandsbunker, sign up at any level for a monthly patronage to get access to the bonus episode. Uh, You know me, you know Ty, we get into all the controversial topics, guns, race, religion. Uh, It was an after dark studio session, so you can count on straight talk from Ty and me for sure. Uh, Before we kick off the Biddle episode, I wanted to comment on the local sensational news of the week. Uh, There were big scenes at 500 King Street as Elon Musk came to Wilmington to testify in Chancery Court in a lawsuit dealing with Musk's Tesla Corporation's acquisition of a firm called Solar City. All the other parties in the lawsuit have settled, uh, but Musk, like P.T. Barnum before him, curates any manner of publicity, however ridiculous. So he was in Wilmington for a few days to spar with a platoon of high-priced corporate attorneys on the record. Elon Musk is a fake. Electric cars and cryptocurrencies and pneumatic tubes for buses and all the rest of it are simple schemes to court venture capital and, most importantly, amass giant piles of government subsidies. Uh, If you're so inclined, Liz Franzak and Brace Belden of Truanon Podcast did a comprehensive four-part series on Musk. Uh, This is in the Truanon style, which is not everyone's cup of tea, I I understand. Uh, But the information is well-researched and presented enthusiastically. Wealthy phonies like Musk are not new to the American scene, of course, uh, and the criticisms of some of the robber barons of the first Gilded Age ring as true with Musk as it did more than a century ago. Uh, to wit, this is the opening of a letter written by Mark Twain to railroad and shipping tycoon Cornelius Vanderbilt in 1869. How my heart goes out in sympathy to you. How I do pity you, Commodore Vanderbilt. Most men have at least a few friends whose devotion is a comfort and solace to them, but you seem to be the idol of only a crawling swarm of small souls who love to glorify your most flagrant unworthiness in print or praise your vast possessions worshipingly or sing of your unimportant private habits and sayings and doings as if your millions gave them dignity. Friends who applaud your superhuman stinginess with the same gusto as they do your most significant displays of commercial genius and daring, and likewise your most lawless violations of commercial honor. For these infatuated worshippers of dollars not their own seem to make no distinctions, but swing their hats and shout hallelujah every time you do anything, no matter what it is. Comrades and friends, hello. This is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower and behind enemy lines. This week's episode is brought to you by Two Stones Brewery. Uh, Greg and Two Stones have uh, hooked it up again with some Delco Lager. 
It's very much appreciated, and it's quite tasty. So, Greg, two stones, thank you very much. Our guest tonight is the esteemed ex-political reporter of the Delaware State News, uh, now the, um, what, what, what do we call it? You're the public... Public Affairs Manager. You're the Public Affairs Manager of Planned Parenthood of Delaware, Matthew Biddle. Matt, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here again. Yeah, so this was quite a uh, quite a shock to the Delaware political scene, for whatever that's worth, um, because you know your coverage is pretty comprehensive, and people kind of dig, kind of you know, well, they dug it, I guess. Um, yeah, so we're, we're, I mean, it's obviously a new opportunity. Were you looking to get into something new? Was it a chance? Like, what were you sick of those of those lunatics in Dover? What was what's the story? So, kind of over the past year, I've really realized that as much as I like journalism and have enjoyed a lot of things in my seven years here, I was really ready for new opportunities. And in particular, I wanted to try advocacy. Basically, I wanted to get involved in causes I care about. Um, the way I've put it is just that I care too much to remain on the sidelines any longer. Obviously, being a reporter uh, covering government politics, I can't really get involved in any campaigns, any issues or whatnot. So really, that was something I had an interest in for a bit, but hadn't been able to. And so um kind of just decided I want to try something like this. And this was a good opportunity, I thought. So, yeah, well, I mean, if you're looking for uh, any kind of advocacy uh, work to do outside of uh, of women's health and uh, reproductive rights, you should probably talk to uh, talk to Carl. He probably could put you to work doing something. So definitely let him know. But congrats on that, man. It's a cool uh, it, it's a cool move. And I think I think I'm going to circle back because I actually have some questions like just about doing advocacy in Delaware, especially for a um, for a nonprofit of that size and that stature, I guess we'll say. But uh, we'll leave that to the end. We'll uh, we'll talk about the 151st General Assembly first. So it was the uh, it was your 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 last one covering it. Um, so just some like off the top questions, like what was your feeling about it? So we we were coming out of the COVID pandemic, so it sort of started up all online in the winter uh but then slowly but surely sh sort of like people were getting vac vaccinated and going back um what was that like so it was interesting it was in some ways it was nice having it online i mean i didn't have to dress up you know it was really easy to just kind of sit at my desk and whatever um but obviously it was you know it would have been nice to be in the hall seeing people and whatnot so it, it was certainly different, um, a little bit more that obviously, you know, they, they had the experience of having to do it last year for about the last month of the session. So they really had a better idea this year. Um, I think things went pretty smoothly with it. They started phasing in the in-person and for the last month, they even had public there in very limited capacity. I went for two days just to kind of go, um, again, very restricted, but so, yeah, it, I thought the, the virtual session went pretty well. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were fairly not busy this year just because of the format, but that was obviously not the case. They didn't sit still, um, much to the chagrin of Republicans, certainly. But it was, uh, you know, really an, an interesting first leg just in terms of how much they did, uh, particularly, you know, things of consequence. Well, it's funny that you say that because I completely disagree with you. <laughs> um I mean, before we get into that, I guess, I mean, I, I was hoping, and, and maybe you don't have much to say about it because you weren't able to attend as many things in person, only a few days, really. Um, but, you know, there was, a, there, there were a lot of changes uh, in both the House 
and in the Senate. There was a lot of changes in the House, and in the Senate, the leadership changed. Um, I mean, was there a was there was that change sort of was everybody feeling that? I mean, I know that there was, I know that there was confrontations early on. I know that some of the committee sessions, you know, went, you know, people were, uh, as you said, kind of to the consternation of Republicans. It was these people were there and and it was real. Um, First of all, how did that go down, in your opinion, at seeing, you know, seeing most of it and following up on it and reporting on it? And then, you know, what to you in your in your view, what was accomplished by it? Mm -hmm. Uh, since you mentioned the the new people, the first thing I'll mention is just that I've been impressed with the new people. They're obviously all very passionate. Um, you know, they all come from a left-leaning background. They have a, you know, kind of a strong focus on certain quote-unquote progressive issues. But I've really just been impressed by their passion and their knowledge. Um, they've, they haven't been afraid to stand up and, you know, really make waves to some degree. So, that, that's been pretty interesting, um, just seeing them. As for kind of the broader General Assembly, so obviously there were some notable bills that are still going through the process in various stages, a couple, you know, police reform bills, use of force. Um, there's a couple gun control bills, obviously marijuana, which is probably the headliner for most people, I think. Um, <clears throat> but they, they did pass the minimum wage. That's obviously a pretty big deal. Uh, they they did the re- repealed the youth training wage as well, um, so I you know I thought that was a very impactful thing. I we guess. can still we can still I, I think it's true to say we can still pay disabled people less though. I believe they repealed that as well. Did they repeal that as well? I know that was, yeah they they passed it. They did pass it. Okay, cool. So all of that. So the tipped wage, the training wage. The minimum wage and the disability wage. Tipped wage is still the minimum, but, but, but unlike they, the last day cha- of session, they Kim changed Williams, the math, right? I don't think they adjust, they changed tip wage at all, but Kim Williams, I believe, filed a bill on, on like June thirtieth that would change it somehow. So I imagine that'll be a priority when they get back in January. Yeah, I mean, and and like like you said, you used the phrase "going through the process." You know, I, I was, I I had done a lot of work with folks who were um, looking at fines and fees, uh, adjustments and changes uh, because they're punitive for really no reason. Um, uh, paid family leave, uh, and medical leave. And on the first day of Ju- July, you know, they're all on social media saying, well, we'll go, we're going to go and get them January 1st. And I felt like saying, yeah, ask, you know, uh, you know, Paul Bombach about his end of life or ask Zoe Pichel about her marijuana, about going back and getting it January 1st. So this idea that, well, they got everything in the pipeline, and next session we'll just you know finish all of these off. That's extremely naive, don't you? Don't I mean you you were down there how many years? Seven. Seven years. So you must know that that's that's a fairly naive, I think, view. I mean, I I know it's certainly not a guarantee that they do any of the things I just mentioned, but just the fact that they're out there, some of those have passed one chamber. I think that's notable because, you know, when I when I started here, I don't think they would have had any success with that kind of stuff. Um, just how much the General Assembly has changed. It's getting younger, more diverse, um, it, more female. So, you know, really new perspectives. And so even if that stuff doesn't end up passing next year, um, and I can certainly understand why people would be frustrated that they have to wait a minimum of another six months. Um, but even if it doesn't pass next year, I feel like the wheels are still in motion. And in, in a way, they wouldn't have been a couple of years ago. So 
in that sense, I would say it's still progress. I definitely see your point. Um, it's certainly not, as I said, not a guarantee any of that stuff passes, but you know, I, there's some reason for optimism, I think. Um, yeah, I don't, but, but in any case, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could say that I, for example, and I'll give you an, another example, the, um, the reinstatement of cash bail. I don't know if you heard us talking about it last week. Um, you know, two, uh, two real, you know, sort of like the, the, the poor uh, kids from England who missed the penalties, um, really blew it. Kyle Evans Gay and Sarah McBride, who, again, yeah, I'm happy that there are Democrats and, 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 and women, but they're, they're not progressive. Right. I know people that's going to shock a lot of people. It's probably shocking you right now. But I mean, you know that they aren't. I mean, they're progressive on paper. I mean, I read in the New York Times that Sarah McBride's a human rights activist. But that doesn't. But when push came to shove, now we've reinstated. Like we're trying to get fines and fees changed. That didn't change. But on the other side, we've reinstated cash bail and it's probably going to get worse. <clears throat> so, again, uh, the fact that more stuff is in the pipeline really doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't satisfy me in, in the least. What was your, I mean, what's your take on the, on the bail thing? What was it? It was a SB7, right? Yeah, 7. So give me, I mean, I, I, I talked about it sort of at length last week. What, what's your take on it? So that, that's an interesting bill. That's something I didn't really write about um, just because there was other stuff. But I'll be honest, part of the reason I didn't write about it was just because it was a complicated topic and... I just kind of didn't feel like touching it at that point. Um, but, you know, I, I, sur I listened to the debates on the floor, at least in the House. I don't remember if I heard the Senate, but so I heard some pretty passionate arguments there. I, I don't know. I, I see both sides. Um, if I were, you know, if I were going to be voting on it, I would need to do more research before learning, you know, deciding what to go. I think the things that, like Sean Lynn said, for instance. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, Sean Lynn, to my mm -hmm. mind, was the only one who, presented facts i mean we can talk about anecdotal sort of situations and as i said last week you know there are going to be violent you know people are going to get out on their own recognizance and do violence that's just the nature of our society now but should we apply a rule that's going to say everybody's got to come up with x or do x or they're staying in prison because we don't even have jails they're just going to prison not being not having been found guilty of anything for no other reason than that they can't afford it and so we look at the numbers, we compare those two things, how much of this is happening versus, you know, who we would affect here. And Sean Lynn calls a, a witness from the JP court who has all this information and that's it. There is no other side. Now you can say these are the victims of the, of the violence incidences that were already baked into the numbers. Those are in the statistics. So it's not like that's a, that's a, that's the other side of the story. That's already part of the story that Sean Lynn told. So there is no two sides of the story. And so really what it was was just, you know, satiating people's lust to do something because they're reading about more shootings, I think. Um, I don't know. That's my that's my take on it. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean. Was there more on the other side than just anecdotal sort of horror stories about violence being done? Um, so I think one of the, the big things around it is, and I am not a hundred percent sure I'm recalling this exactly right, but it was something like 
this is a stopgap until they can pass a constitutional amendment that would allow them to deny bail for non-capital cases, I believe. Um, that stemmed from a, a change a couple years ago. But So this was sort of an attempt to address that issue, I guess. Um, yeah, and I guess— You could I, argue it goes too far. Certainly. Yeah, and, and I understand that this is complicated, but this is why I think it's important. Because that, that, um, that, that complexity is subterfuge. Like, you didn't—I mean, look, if I were you, I probably wouldn't have written about it either. But, but the point is that, you know, this sort of complicated issue gets reintroduced and passed, and then people say what you said about this constitutional amendment that's going to deal with some sort of criminal rights—or, excuse me, uh, justice, criminal justice issues. And—but that doesn't say anything. Is that going to codify what we just did? Is it going to be what we just did just worse? I heard, you know, I heard stories that the AG's office and, and Brian Townsend are floating, a, a, you know, ideas called preventative detention. That's what we called last week's episode that would be sort of codified in a constitutional amendment. So the idea that th this is just a stopgap, a stopgap to what? What are we going to get in two years? Well, nobody's going to care because, you know, uh, Kathy Jennings will have run for governor and Brian Townsend will have run for U.S. rep. And nobody will remember, like, what just happened because it was too complicated. I think that's very, very dangerous. Yeah, that's uh, that, that, that's true. Um, I mean, I, I there are definitely I, I just, you know, as we said, I think Sean Lynn articulated the concerns pretty well. Um, just the impact of what being locked up does, just how it you know automatically increases the chances you will be a that you know your life will go downhill basically um so it's you know i can see the i don't know i i can kind of see both sides um at the end of the day i guess it's a an issue that i don't want to say agree to disagree but there are clearly some people that are just and i don't mean, just mean like the you know the tough on crime folks but some democrats who are confidence the right thing to do um, i don't know if you listen to yeah. house but namdi made a an emotional I speech i did that was that yeah. actually i that was disgusting me i thought that really? was i thought that was uh laughable mm -hmm. really i was embarrassed i was embarrassed for him because he's putting on a show he's making an emotional plea about something that sean lynn already told you like this you can't it, you know, because there are bad incidents that are very emotional incidents. And again, I'm not saying that you, if something violent happens to someone you know or your neighbor or your family member that you're not going to be emotional. Of course you are. That's not the part that's embarrassing. The part that's embarrassing is using that to then make a change to the laws of Delaware that you know, based on what Sean Lynn has told you, don't really make sense. They're making you, they're making you feel better. It's not right because I did. I mentioned that and I thought that the, I, I was so disappointed. And again, I don't expect a lot from Namdi for various reasons, but I was really disappointed in that because I thought it was just, I don't know, it was pandering. And I'm not saying that he, he, he's not sad that violence is done in his neighborhood. Of course, anyone would be. But to do it there in that setting for that reason for that outcome. Remember what the outcome is going to be. Now, people are going to go to prison because they're poor. Innocent people are going to go, too. Remember, because that's going to happen. We just had one. Somebody just is going to get a retrial. Well, they don't even know if they're going to retry the person based on a recant just came out. So innocent people are going to go to prison because they're poor. 
because of because Namdi made an emotional speech about anecdotal information. I don't think that's something to be proud of. That that's a I, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, it's I I don't want to stand here and say that Namdi is you know his point is totally invalid. I mean, I obviously have not walked in his shoes. Um, so I, I don't know. I can kind of see both sides with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. It's, it's hard to, again, and this is a problem a lot of leftists have, and this is why I'm different than, like, a progressive person. Like, I, I, I understand how he feels, and I'm trying to be empathetic. Like, I'm empathetic to Namdi personally or anyone personally who's experienced any kind of violence against them or in their neighborhood or against people they love or against their neighbor or whatever. Yeah, I mean, man, I'm empath I get it. I mean, I'd give you a hug, man, but you can't change the fucking laws over it. And just because it's your lived experience, I, I don't really, I don't care. And we got to get away from that. We have to get away from that. And we have to make sure we're doing the best thing for the most people for the right reasons. And not, you know, not because we want to make ourselves feel better. You know, so I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's complicated in that sense. And I know some people don't want to come out and just say that. And so it's sort of like, yes, I understand how he feels. I understand how he feels, too. I'm just telling you it's a bad reason to change the laws of the state. Uh, I, I will just say that it's the, the, the really hard thing about it, I think, is just that it's obviously such a systemic issue that just changing bail, um, even just, you know, huge, large scale criminal justice reform, even that would not really solve the problem completely because so much of it just comes back to economics and poverty and how many people growing up in Wilmington. And, and let's be honest, they're mostly black. Uh, if they were not black, there would be more public concern about it. I think we can agree on that. But, you know, just how many people are growing up impoverished, just around drugs, gangs, violence. It just it, it, it's amazing that anyone makes it out at all, kind of. And so un, until we start until we reckon with that, and you know, so much of that is just dealing with systemic racism. I don't know. To some degree, I feel like there's only so much you can do. No, I agree with that. Actually, not only do I agree with that, I apply what you just said also as a segue to the gun issue, because the, we're, we're talking really about the same people. We're talking about Brian Townsend. We're talking about Namdi. We're talking about you know people in the you know in the House and Senate who want some kind of gun reform. Um, I, I hate to break the news to people, but the, the gun reforms that I've seen will solve zero problems that we have because the problems that we have are, as you said, uh, we have economic problems, we have education problems, we have uh, uh, health and uh, insurance problems and, and medical you know, insurance problems, we have infrastructure problems, we have criminal justice problems. The gun problem is a symptom of all of that. <clears throat> And, and, you know, I, I think the one thing the, the the president met with the Chief Tracy yesterday, I saw, that's funny. What Nothing could be more unproductive than that. Um, but, yeah, they're talking about, like, they're really going to crack down on, uh, you know, straw sellers and, and people who sell. I have news for it. That's like the war on drugs, right? If there's money to be made, people will take the risk to make it. Now, maybe, you know, maybe getting a getting a, a nine millimeter that with the with the. Serial number filed off costs two hundred dollars more. That they could they could drive up the price maybe, but it's not gonna if it doesn't solve if it doesn't try to address head on the issues you were talking about. 
it doesn't solve the problem. And certainly making the magazines less or whatever is not going to solve the problem. And so I, I look at that too. And, that, and that's what I guess is that's why I'm disappointed in all of this. Because other than the $15 minimum wage, which is a slow march to something that's not, you know, poverty wage, but it's, it's hardly something to celebrate that in four years it's going to be $15. It should be $22 now. That's the only thing they've done to address anything that you said. It's, I mean, so much of it is just, first off, I guess Delaware can only do so much, right? Like even just within the state, you know, there are so well, much. Not with of this, that attitude. Be, <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. I mean. No, I don't. Explain it. No, okay. I mean, I kind of do, but yeah, explain what you mean. So like say Delaware just becomes some, and I don't mean this in like a, a snarky way or anything but like a, a leftist utopia you know uh, just okay you have my attention yeah exactly um you know kind of the, some of the stereotypical things and again i don't mean is that that is a pejorative but that would only do so much because it's just one state in 49 we have like a million people there's another 330 million in the country so you know it would obviously help delaware but what does it do? I mean, just and about the minimum wage, like to some degree, I feel that it's just kind of putting a bandaid over the problem, which is wealth inequality and the fact that a very small number of people are just hoarding the wealth. And, you know, you can only do so much with by mandating that they be paid more. Um, I, I think you would do more by really, you know, much higher taxes, uh, just a much more equitable society in that sense. Uh, but obviously that's a really difficult thing to do. And something like that is, you know, Delaware again can only do so much. So yeah, well, I, I big guess issues. Yeah. I, 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 I do. I agree with you. And then I guess that's why I'm saying like, we, the, the fact that we, the fact that even a utopia as much of whatever we can imagine in our minds, the fact that a utopia doesn't solve every problem doesn't mean that the, the social change that we're looking for doesn't go in that direction. Do you know what I mean? Like that, I, I agree. I mean, it, the, the, the socialist societies that I can dream in my mind have problems. They're not perfect, but, but that, but the problems are solved in an egalitarian way for everybody, not based on how much capital you can hoard or who you can give, you know, what campaign donations you can make. And so the idea that, you know, we can only do so much here. Yeah, so let's do it then. Let's do it and see what it does. Let's see if it inspires anybody else to do something. Let's see if it helps some people who are oppressed now or whatever. So I don't know. I, I don't want to get I don't want to get into like this. Well, you know, we'll never get there. And even if we did, it wouldn't be that great. So kind of like an apology sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. And I, I would say that that. That shouldn't be a reason not to do it just because it would, you know, it wouldn't solve any pro every problem or whatever. Uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So, you know, I, I certainly would like to see lawmakers do a lot of these stereotypical, if you will, kind of left priorities, um, even though, again, it wouldn't solve all the problems. But I certainly would like that. And, you know, you can disagree to, to some degree, to some degree. But Delaware is obviously moving to the left. Um you know, I, I would say it should be moving faster. Um, I think the country as a whole is far too much, too far to the right. Um, and we're only just kind of realizing how much the conservative movement has just influenced and just shaped the way that we think and talk about so many things here. Um, well, it's funny. I don't, you know, 
if you look at like uh, if you look at the numbers again, and you look at like voting, especially in big states, Wisconsin I know is a great example of this. I think Virginia is another big example of this. Like the amount of votes that Democrats have to get to break mm-hmm. even in their state legislature mm-hmm. le- legislatures is like 40 60 maybe mm-hmm. it's not maybe it's not quite that much of a split but i know it's like 55 45 yeah it's it's imbalanced it's way imbalanced because of gerrymandering and, and and other things you know why do we still have the same number of representatives in the us house that we had in 1912 mm-hmm. you know we we it's you know it's 435 is that what it is 435 435 yeah. but that was set in i think in the late teens is that right something like that it like was it was before, you know, right around World ago. War One. Yeah. So, you know, what's 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 really at work here? Is it that the conservative ideas are are widely popular and the reactionary ideas are widely popular, or is it that, you know, the the, the system is in place to protect reactionary ideas that protect the status quo, that protect the hierarchy, and protect people who hoard capital? So that's the trick. The trick is getting is is getting people off of this idea, like. Uh, well, I'll get off my my soapbox. I don't want to get. I'll, I'll let you respond to that because I don't want to get too far afield. But yeah, I mean, the I'm not as afraid of reactionary ideas. They're very scary. They need to be addressed for sure. But from a popularity standpoint, I mean, we talked about it in Delaware. You know, weeds was very popular. The, the fines and fees changes was very popular. Uh, there's a lot of these things that don't go anywhere that are extremely popular. And so popularity, I think doesn't have a lot to do with it actually mm-hmm. yeah i yeah i know what you're saying um i think pretty much as a rule in the united states the electorate is more to the left than the whatever the governing body is you know congress a state legislature whatever um you obviously mentioned the structural imbalance uh just the you know electoral college is a great example of that um the, the the bias, essentially, toward the the more rural areas, which lean Republican, um, you know, it's it's easy to speculate, or I guess it's hard to speculate because who knows? But how things would be different if we didn't have, say, an electoral college from the the get go, or if we had a, you know, we didn't have two senators per state, regardless of whether one state is six hundred thousand people and one is thirty five million people, you know, so stuff like that. Um, but I, I think the status quo definitely is such to protect the status quo. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously the people in power always are interested in keeping that power and, and not to be too cynical, but you know, the United States certainly was not formed as some, Oh, you know, Oh, we're all free and happy as you learn about in grade school. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. These, these, at least the, um, the legacy problems, like the, the idea that there is a U.S. Senate, um, the legacy problems were just, you know, a way to appease aristocratic, you know, can, you know, aristocratic slaveholders in the South. I mean, let's just be honest about it. You know, the Articles of Confederation weren't working because you can't have 13 ba- basically different countries doing like trying to. They're all on this eastern seaboard trying to do it. So the Articles of Confederation didn't work. They had to have a, they had to come together and somehow figure out how to work all of these together. And, you know, nobody from Virginia is going to is going to get with, you know, not having some undemocratic systems. That's just that's just a fact. And so the idea that these that the idea that these things that people fight for for the status quo are good is just incorrect. You know, so 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's there, it's it's a the systemic problem is very difficult for for people to get. I mean, I know Andrew Galvin wrote a piece for the call, abolish the Senate, a few months ago, something like that. I think I read that. And it was the only, I think it was the only thing that we've done that got like, that got like hate mail to the email, to the <laughs> Delaware call email. Like, this is the stupidest thing. I've, Fuck you. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And it's actually, it actually makes a lot of sense. But like, people don't get it. They just know like, Joe Biden was a senator and Chris Coons is a senator. That's cool. And like... <laughs> He's like, that's, just, that's stupid, but yeah, so I, people, it, the, the, the systemic stuff, people don't want to, um, don't want to sort of, it, it's easy not to look at that, it's too complicated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's easier for people to, to some degree, bury their heads in the sand, but I, I, I don't also don't want it to be that cynical because, you know, there are some people who, you know, I, I've got a nice life. Why should I change things? They just don't really get into thinking about it. Obviously, a lot of people learn in school just about how great everything is. And, you know, some people never really progress from that mindset, especially if you start watching certain fascist news channels. Um, yes, I know. See, I'm going to I'll ask you this now because I follow you on Twitter. And I know even when you were when you were with Del Delaware State News, like even though you were, you were pretty like these reporters are, they don't say much, you know, they try to keep it, keep it down the line. Like, I know that whole thing about like fake news and people telling, I know that fucking pissed you off, dude. You were, I could tell like, it wasn't even, some days it was pretty subtle, other days it wasn't subtle. And so I know that that kind of stuff, like the, the, the Fox newsification of the, of kind of the reactionary movement, uh, kind of got under your skin. So I wonder, like, because, you know, there's a lot of those acolytes in Dover that you were, you know, gone past every day. And I just wonder, like, the Gerald Hawkers and the fucking uh, and the Dave Lawsons of the world. Like, what would you what would your take on those guys? Like through the lens of this idea that it's sort of like a they have to they have to play. They have to say the things like one day it's Islamophobia. You know, it was like three years ago or four years ago it was Sharia law. Now it's critical race theory. It's just a reactionary, you know, boogeyman or whatever. How did you, I know that that kind of stuff fucking drives you up a wall. So I wonder how you got along with those guys. Uh, it, it could be tough, um, especially kind of over the past year or so as they've just sort of continually insisted that COVID is not a big deal and whatnot. Uh, to some degree, I think there's been room to disagree about what the government restrictions should be. Um, I, I also personally feel that the government should have, the federal government should have from the get-go been essentially writing checks to people much, much more frequently than twice or three times, whatever it was. But, um, you know, the, just the general attitude from some Republicans that COVID is not it, it, it's a liberal plot to undermine Donald Trump. I mean, there were a couple Republicans who you may have noticed participated from their offices, even when they were back in session. Um, I, I can think of three in the House. It's because they weren't vaccinated. And if they were going to be on the floor, they would have had to wear a mask, which they refused to do. So that's why we're in their office. Um, to some degree, that's performative. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I'm sure they genuinely hold those beliefs. They're not just pandering to their base. So it, it, it's kind of well, it, it's very tough because the people are, you know, like when Dave Lawson gets up on the floor and says that if we take away guns, we're going to have another Holocaust. Like he's not just trying to stir up his base like he genuinely believes that. So things like that are tough because they're such a core element of their worldview. Um, you know, for so many of these people, it's just they, they can't imagine a world where America is anything other than the 
the best country ever and nothing is even close. Like they can't imagine a world where cops are bad, essentially. Um, I mean, it's just a difference in worldview and it's, I don't know, to be honest, I don't know how you bridge that gap. It's really, it's really tough. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the ways uh, we're going to do it is we're going to, we're going to leave them on one side. We're going to blow up the bridge. Yeah, because I kind of do agree with you. Like, to me, I do believe a lot of it's performative, like you said. I think, I mean, for example, Trump himself, you know, would, would go out and this would be part of his routine. Um, but he, you know, he certainly got the vaccine as soon as he could. He almost died. You know, they had to give him some experimental treatment because he was fucking, he was in bad shape. And so he got the vaccine. And so, you know, that's all, that's performative. Now, do some people really believe, like... Uh, some of the, that wild stuff because they can't, you know, they've been indoctrinated with these ideas. I think so, but I don't. I don't think there's a difference at this point. I think it's just those people need to be marginalized uh, to the edges of society. But the problem is that they're very useful um, because, you know, there are you know capital interests that are fine with these people because they're never gonna, you know, they're they're not a threat to. The, the, the forces that hold in place the stuff you were talking about before, the systemic stuff you were talking about before, they're fine with fucking Dave Lawson. He's not a threat to them. He's, he's dope. I mean, so that's, that's the tricky part. You have to get in and organize them out of existence. That's the only, that's, that's, I, to me, I think that that's the, only, that's the only way. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, short of like armed people taking to the streets, which I think is not ever going to happen. Never say never, but... Yeah. I mean, anything's possible, but it's very, very unlikely. Yeah. Um, it's, I, it's unlikely in the next, I don't know, 50 years yeah. for sure. It, it would really just have to be through the ballot box, and that is just hard work and time. Uh, but again, the tough thing is, like, you know, pretty much all of Sussex, a, a Democrat is really no chance in most of those districts. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't matter. There are plenty of people that are going to vote R just because there's an R by the guy's name. Like, you know, they... I mean, I don't know. That that's what's what's kind of tough. Well, very tough. Just so much of the Republican philosophy is just based off wrong information. It's just a different worldview. Like, you know, so I'm sure there are plenty of lawmakers in the Delaware General Assembly that legitimately believe Donald Trump won the presidential election. How do you deal with that? I I, I don't know. It's tough, and I. I worry about that a lot. I think about that stuff a lot. Uh, it's so frustrating, but it's just a, a warped worldview. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's always going to be cranks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the 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 issue is that really at the back of it, that you know the system doesn't mind. They they fit right in. Like to be perfectly honest, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went on during the Trump thing, and you know, I think the riot on the 6th of January was pretty was pretty weird but like but ultimately you know a lot of people more people were in pain obviously for because of policy measures but in the grand scheme of things people were fine with it people were absolutely fine with it and so really I don't spend a lot of time I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it at all because I because I because I've committed to the idea that the only way to sort of address it uh, is to organize around it and, and to sort of organize those people out of existence to sort of marginalize them. Like 
if you're going to have, you can have crank ideas and we'll just come and say, you know, you, it doesn't have to be this way and see how that works. I mean, it's really, I mean, I don't know if that will work, but it seems like the only way forward. Yeah. Uh, again, I would just say the tough thing about that is there's only so much you can do there. Like you're not go, you're only going to be able to to elect so many Democrats in the general assembly. I mean, there are, you know, most of those Sussex districts safe red. Um, and quite frankly, if one of those Republicans gets a little too close to anything that could be perceived as blue, they've got a wacko like Lauren Witzke coming out from the woodwork to take them on or something. Yeah, but Lauren Witzke doesn't win. Like those, those, there's a, a lot of those, um, a lot of those folks aren't going anywhere either. No, like, like but, I don't. I, 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 I actually think somebody. I mean, if you look at the at the at some of the most sort of degenerate reactionary freaks, you know, your your Lauren Witzkies, your um, I don't know Scott Walkers, your um, what was the witch the O'Donnell, uh, the guy Big Big Murph, the guy who ran for oh Lee Murphy, Lee Mur Big Murph, Bill Murph go yeah like. Though those are good, like he, like the the audience for that shtick is very rabid, but actually quite and, and, and can be dangerous out in public. But they're actually quite small when it comes to an electoral thing. I mean, I don't know, Carl, you, you have the numbers like you're the numbers guy. I mean, do do these sort of the, the real and I'm talking about the real fringe reactionary freaks like are. Do they do they have numbers anywhere where they could they could pull some pull something out of their hat? You think or no? I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. Are we talking like could they primary Charles Postles? Probably. Yeah. Uh, could they win a gubernatorial election in Delaware? Probably not. Um, I do think a lot of those districts in Sussex, because I've been looking a lot at Sussex lately, and there's an interesting trend where they're getting less democratic in terms of registration but they're getting more democratic in terms of voting um because there's no none of those districts are a complete blowout so like biden got usually at least 40 percent in many of them sometimes he got like 35 percent, but he's not getting blown out in the way he would in like rural nebraska um so it's it's interesting and i think there's definitely if you ran a Democrat there tomorrow, they're going to lose in any most of those districts. Um, even if even if a even if a maniac say primaries postals, yeah, uh, yeah, even yeah, a because moderate, it is a moderate where, Democrat like, yeah, won't there's, beat. There's an R next to their name, right? And right. if you don't change who's voting or whatever, right. like yeah, right. they're, they're going to yeah. Win. And I guess that's my my other question. Sussex, it's all right? about who's actually voting, though. Y yeah, and it, <laughs> if immigrants could vote, <laughs> Sussex would be. Yeah, and because and and and, no, and none of the systems here affect immigrants at all. Um, crazy, but the other thing is there there is an influx of just people to Sussex County. That's where we're seeing the big population. Well, it's old retire. Like um, if you look at the registration numbers, you have the twentieth, the thirty eighth, and the fourteenth, which are the three beach districts, are like double the size of every other single district. It's crazy, and it's funny because the fourteenth is solid blue. It's Peach Schwartz got. I mean, it's not. It's not what I would call good blue. It's uh, retired people from New York and New Jersey who are going to vote for whoever is the most moderate candidate. Like that's the area where Jess and Kerry did, both did worse, I think. Um, whereas the 20th and the 38th are still super red. Uh, 20th is a little less so now, but the 38th is certainly because that's um, that's below Rehoboth. Um, 
So, but yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's definitely growing. But then there's also places in the other parts of the county that like they're rapidly developing so many of these areas that it's actually there's some low income housing and there's like a lot of immigrants, a lot of black people um, that no one's ever going to talk to them because they're not in the area that we think of as because it's not right now. It's not winnable, but um, neither was Ohio or Wisconsin or Michigan for Republicans 10 years, like 10, 20 years ago. So, yeah, that's crazy true. things happen. They're they're unwinnable up until they aren't. I guess that's a uh, good point to remember. It does take time, but yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, some of these places, I, I, I wonder. You know, I guess it, like going back to what I said before. You know, how's this? Or, where's this organizing going to work best? I know this is something Carl does all the time. Um, you know, and sort of looking at places that there are people there who have ideas, and we don't have to. You know, we don't have to put up with a lot of this shenanigans. You know, so. Last last Delaware thing. This is something we haven't talked about uh, in here, and I just saw it today. So I'll get your get your take on it. Uh, Stephanie Q. Bolden uh, had a story in the uh, her middle initials Q, right? T. Okay, Stephanie R. Bolden uh, had a, there was a little story in the on a blog on the blog today, uh, Delaware Liberal. Um. She was the person who changed her vote on the renters' uh, rights bill, which would guarantee legal representation to renters and renter-landlord disputes. A lot of these folks can't afford anybody, so they get steamrolled by their landlord very often. And uh, this looked pretty good to go. You know, it it was only fair... You know, at least allow these people the, the same access because really the, you don't have the same access if you don't have a professional going in there and handling your case. You don't have the access to the to the to the court in a fair way. So this seemed like it was good. So she changes her her vote. She's in, she, she she votes it down. Right. Come to find out, there was these late 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 in the game uh, donations from Buccini Pollen Group uh, to her. When she was asked about it, she said people in her di- this would hurt people in her district who, as we looked up today, two-thirds of them are renters. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I fail to see how there's a negative impact to this to the people of her district. Now, I'm sure there are certain people in her district, like, you know, the pastor of her church probably owns a bunch of rental properties. But um, this is a real bad one. Uh, once again, it, it sort of shows the um, the influence of, of big real estate, but it's also kind of sick because it's it's the influence of big real estate at a very minor level. Like I think the two two different BPG entities maxed out, so which is like a total of five thousand dollars or something. So basically, for for a couple thousand dollars um, and whatever lobbying, you know, she was just bought off. You know, they, we the, she she got they pulled the Shabazz, the Hanifa Shabazz thing. And it's just, it's 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 um it's it's not pleasant to see people get bought off for so little. Um, were you? Did you have any idea that was going on when the bill was going on the the, the renters thing? No, uh, I mean you no. just knew. Uh-huh. I mean, I, obviously, it was pretty clear that she was the one who, who kind of shit canned it at the last minute. Um, was there any like inkling like, well, that was weird. Why did she do that? Uh, not for me. I mean, I 
hadn't really been following that bill too closely just because there was so much else going on that that kind of had to go to low down the priority list. Um, if I was still a reporter, I probably would have or would be looking into that right now. You know, just what, what would she say about and whatnot? Um, so, no, I, I can't really. I don't really have much of an opinion on that, uh, but obviously the campaign contributions, I mean, that's a, a fact and that's pretty clear cut by itself. So people can draw their own conclusions from that, I guess. Yeah, I draw my own conclusion. I just told you what it was. Um, okay. This is, I, I kind of want to wrap up on this topic because I think it's a broader one and, and it, it's sort of, I don't know, it could be more interesting. I'm tired of talking about these ghouls in Dover. So you're moving over, um, to Planned Parenthood of Delaware. And I think that's fucking dope, by the way. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I've recently sort of uh, been operating in the nonprofit world, you know, so I, I know that, you know, I'm getting more sort of information about how it works, understanding it and all of this. And Planned Parenthood particularly is, is, is very interesting to me because its its public persona is extremely progressive um, because it's one of those things that reactionaries and, and sort of um, the Christian right and Republicans, conservatives in general kind of hit up against all the time. Um, you know, it's a great social sort of issue for them. It's a great way to like talk about judges. They love that stuff. Activist judges. Activist judges, yeah. So so the idea in the zeitgeist of the community is that Planned Parenthood is a progressive leftist organization. We'll just call it, we'll just call it progressive. But in actuality, Planned Parenthood of Delaware is sort of just like an old school charity. Um, you know, the... The, the 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 fine the, the local sort of philanthropists who have financed it historically uh, have been sort of like the blue blood sort of Democrats and Copelands and uh, excuse me Duponts and Copelands uh, and uh, Sylvia Sloan Shores of the world who you know uh, peace be upon her um, you know some of the people that she worked with were like some of the people who started Planned Parenthood didn't have the greatest politics. Um, and so while they do really important community health work, Planned Parenthood of Delaware, I don't think, is, is a really an activist organization. I think the perception is that it is, but it really isn't. And so I wonder, I mean, I'm sure you did due diligence. And I'm sure you had these conversations with Ruth, the CEO, about like what the job entailed and what kind of, um, you know, what kind of work you would be doing as far as advocacy in the public face of the organization. So, you know, I, I wonder what your, your thoughts about that are, um, you know, because now you're, you're sort of taking this on. Um, and if you had any sort of uh, sort of ideas of, of kind of what you might do to to maybe bring the advocacy of Planned Parenthood of Delaware into the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, first off, I would just say that I'm still, I've got a lot to learn there. I'm still kind of feeling my way in. Um, but as for advocacy, um, I mean, some of the stuff that I want to get involved in would just be kind of on my own time, right? Because, you know, like criminal justice and things, I mean, they're they're only going to be so much in, so involved in that. And I think that's fine, obviously. They have a kind of a specifically defined field. Um, but so I've been, you know, put reaching out a little bit of my own to try to get some ideas and just do some things in my own time like that. Um 
As for advocacy with Planned Parenthood, I mean, it's mostly around the reproductive health rights. Um, but, you know, there, there's certainly still overlap with some other things like paid family leave, um, support a $15 minimum wage, obviously LGBTQ rights. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll see how things go. Um, I, I guess I just don't have much to add on that subject just because I'm so new and still really figuring out what I'm doing. Um, there's a, a broad range of things that I'll be handling essentially, but it, um, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity just to even on my downtime to get involved in things in a way I couldn't before just volunteering and such. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I will, here's, here, well, the interesting thing is, it's interesting that you say that because I understand it. I understand what you're saying. Um, I mean, I, I know just as recently as a few years ago that, you know, when, when insurgent candidates from the left started to become a thing, we'll call it the, we'll call it the era of Eugene Young, maybe that's what we'll call it. Um, the the reaction from Planned Parenthood, I think, was one of like just ignore this because they're they are very very um, tied to sort of like the corporate Democrat, and so uh, when I went to an, a, a, an event with them event that they threw five or six years ago you know chris coons is there and that's their bread and butter because when you bring celebrities like that in um you know the fancy people from hocassin will stroke you a check and that's that um but they are when it became a real thing like carrie harris time i think that there was a little like trepidation like these people are upsetting the status quo because actually the status quo um, is sort of baked in for some of these larger nonprofits. I mean, it's not just Planned Parenthood either. Um, so I I wonder whether I sh I'll be real. I'll be upfront with you. I hope that the Planned Parenthood Delaware as an organization sort of understands where it sits and that the 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 zeitgeist is moving around it and, and and actually becomes a partner in in progressive change rather than reliant upon you know just the status quo you know what i mean and and it's and, and it's in, I, I guess i'm saying this because it's it's interesting that you said that and i'm so glad that you're looking to sort of not only you know be the public face in some fashion of Planned Parenthood, but also do, you know, progressive advocacy yourself. I hope those two things come together and I hope there's no friction there because, you know, there's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an interesting organization. And I hope, and I, I mean, the good thing is, look, I know where you're coming from. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have, you're, you're on the, the management staff over there now and then, and you'll be able to give your opinion about what you think you should, they should be doing. And that's certainly helpful. But, you know, I, I just I, I've noticed, you know, as as we've built our sort of leftist organizing apparatus here with Network Delaware, Working Families Party, DSA, um, leftist insurgent political campaigns that we've done that a lot of them have been very successful. You know, some organizations are very eager to uh, cooperate and some are very hesitant to. And, you know, it would be nice if everybody jumped on board for the big win. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
to, to some degree, it's a tricky spot for organizations just in like you, you don't want to back the the challenger only to have them lose and then the incumbents just all ticked off at you. So there are the the pragmatic concerns. Um, I absolutely get what you're saying, and I would hope that maybe I can, you know, shape Planned Parenthood's advocacy and just sort of how they are involved in that sense. Um, because it's not all they, they do have a they have an action side that I've run into. I've run into Planned Parenthood action black shirts um, down in D.C., you know, getting arrested with everybody else. Like, I, I know that there's definitely a lot of folks who um, are, are real activists. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm just excited to see uh, somebody with new ideas. And, um, yeah, I think that's that's cool as hell. Oh, uh, here's a good one. So we'll end on something really fun because our boy, our boy Lex got to uh, go cover uh, – Elon Musk mm. at the uh, at the at the. <laughs> oh my God, I I hate this story. Did you read the stories today? I mean, I, mean, I, I didn't read Lex's. I read the AP story on it. Yeah, now well, Lex Lex covered it, which was funny because when you open um, Isabel Hughes's article, um, it's a video of Lex like in front, like doing the. This is Xerxes Wilson at the Leonard Justice Center. I'm like, it just makes me laugh since I'm like, ah, I know that guy. Um, yeah, I hate it because this is the kind of dumb shit that, like, con men love this shit. Like, they they live for this. Like, they want, you know, everybody else has settled. He's the only person that's not going to settle because he likes this kind of stuff because he's a weirdo. Um, and then, of course, somebody somebody threw up in the jury box today. Did you see that? No, I didn't. That's yeah, so wild. they had to take a, uh, so it's a brand new courtroom uh, on uh, for the Chancery Court. Uh, it's like the top floor of the uh, the, the, the courthouse. Uh, and yeah, like one of the lawyers, uh, I guess there's, there's like a team of lawyers for everybody that's in there. So they had to actually go sit in the jury box and one of them puked. And so they had to take a uh, had to take a recess for that. Now that's coverage. So Lex did report today that there was there was a uh, there was up Chuck in the jury box. That's pretty funny. I had not seen that. I um. Would you take on Musk? You you own some Bitcoin. You want to go no, to the moon. You no. want to go to the moon. What's your What's your take on this guy? I can't stand Elon Musk. Thank uh, goodness. Kind of the gracious. simplest way I would put it is that I think a lot of people think he's Tony Stark, and he's just not. It's so I don't know. He's just the it, to some degree. I think he's kind of the classic example of the oh well, he's you know rich. He must be smart and. Just, I don't know, giving people like him far too much influence on public policy and just really even attention, I guess. So um, I I can't stand Elon Musk. I think he is very selfish. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, he's running a scam. And, uh, you know, the public part of it is a big part of it. And so, you know, people kind of get wrapped up in the story of it um, so he can do a bunch of stuff. But basically, he just gets government subsidies um, you know, just a Ponzi scheme of government subsidies built on, built on. You know, they've produced a few cars, I guess. That's pretty much it. Um, I think most of it is just, you know, other stuff. And people love it. Yeah. I, I, I admit, I don't really get economics. It just doesn't make sense to me. To some degree, I think it's all just made up. 
But I kind of feel like the economy is just like Fortune 500 companies passing money back and forth and then like 1% trickles down, quote unquote, to the rest of us. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, the whenever they don't have whenever they're not liquid, the government just creates money to give them. Um, and then just keeps everything kind of moving, you know, trucking along, you know, small businesses might fail and, you know, there's, you know, reorganizations and people get laid off. Like people don't realize that when, when a big corporation lays off 5,000 people and then gets government money, it's like a small, you know, it's like, yeah, we had a bunch of small businesses. We just closed those. Yeah. It's all bullshit. I mean, that's the thing about like MMT, right? Like the government does create money. When it needs to make sure that the banks don't fail, it creates money. When it needs to make sure that the, the country doesn't collapse because there's a pandemic, it just creates money. Um, and that's the trick of it. But you have to pretend that it didn't, everybody has to pretend that didn't happen. Like, whoa, we gotta, like, do we have to pay that back? Like, what? We don't? Can we do it again? Well, no, no, no. Yeah, I think there's just this sense of... Yeah, of course of, you can do it again. <laughs> yeah, there's just a sense of we have to keep doing this because this is the way things are without actually looking at why they are and if there are alternatives. And I, I know, well, some people, a lot of people on the right may have a vision of Europe as some socialist hellhole, but they've they've figured out a lot of things pretty well. Uh, they some of Europe is a hellhole. But, well, yeah, honest. yeah, but, you know, like Western Europe, kind of the stereotypical yeah, countries yeah, yeah. you would think of. But, I mean... I, I they've got some pretty I, I think they've got a good model in a lot of ways just in terms of the public assistance and the equity I guess um, not to say they're perfect certainly I'm sure I could well that's what we were things, saying but. before there's no there's no perfection right. but it's certainly I certainly like I mean it's certainly better for the country it's certainly better for the society and the culture and the country of Germany to have a much higher union density and workers rights that the, the rights that just are codified not only not only in their individual unions but those rights are codified where you have to you know unions are on boards uh, and you know all of that stuff and so that's just better for their country I mean that's just what it is um, now is th does it make Germany a perfect place of course not I mean uh, you know that's just a fact but it's certainly better than the, al the alternative that we have mm -hmm. yeah I, it, it's interesting and as I said earlier, you kind of learn in school how America was just such a an, an experiment in democracy. You know, all men are created equal and all that. And I think that you, if you are, if you do your own research, if you, you know, actually try to become educated and instead of just accepting sort of what you're told, um, I think there's, you can kind of see that the United States was also very, it was very capitalist. Um, I mean, you know, like, look at who the founding fathers were. They were Filthy rich, a lot of them. Um, and so I think that that was a very that the capitalism is just sort of built into the fabric of this country and not necessarily in a good way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was plenty of things you can point to in the past. It was that. dependent upon um, just unlimited expansion. Like mm -hmm. you could just if you have you could you could buy more land, you could do more stuff. And that was just, you know, an unlimited way to make money. Yeah, exactly. We and just kind of got lucky by... We ran into the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. There's <laughs> so no more left. Yeah. We kind of got lucky, and I, I mean that somewhat of a, um, somewhat sarcastically, but just got lucky that there was this whole virgin continent, or continents, really, um, and that people Well, I mean, the Native Americans didn't really think it was a virgin continent. Eh, who cares about them, though? 
<laughs> I mean, that sadly, that's kind of the thinking. Well, you know, yeah, obviously I mean, that's why, for Europeans coming in here. But yeah, I mean, this is why it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm trying to get Carl to, to to reach out to this libertarian group so we can we can have this we can have we can have it out with them. Because it's so funny. My, my funny thing with the libertarians is, like, it's always your property that needs to be protected. But when does that start, exactly? When does it become yours? Because how far are we supposed to go back? It's very convenient. It's very convenient how far we go back when it's protected. And then it's yours. And then, but then when it's yours, it's good. But before then, nah, it doesn't good. It doesn't fly. Yeah. I don't think... I, I, I think Carl's... Um, appetite for for doing this discussion with this libertarian group is zero <laughs> i can tell like every time i pick bring it up he's just like i i don't think it's a good idea i mean is there any this is a good question and then maybe this is a good question for you because we disagree on stuff too matt and, and for carl like i've been thinking about this like i i i haven't talked to a lot of people that are just that that it's that our views are so different that there's like an argument almost and and i, I kind of want to get into it with somebody but i don't know who like who would be a good who would be a good person to get into it with you know carl baker the 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 the, the i was gonna say late great he's still alive um uh carl baker always used to say greg lavelle was a guy who would mix it up a little bit but like i looked into that guy and he just seems like a fucking moron but maybe that's what it's gonna be i mean maybe i just gotta like suck it up and 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 just talk to some Somebody, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Lavelle seems like someone who would be willing to give it back. Um, I don't know how interested he'd be in like sitting down with you to debate this stuff, but yeah, I, I don't know who exactly you, you could find that would be good for it. Um, you know, I, I to some degree, I tried Del Colo. Mm. He just kept saying the same stuff over and over again. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that doesn't. And then, of course, we retired his ass. But that's yeah. another thing too. <laughs> this Spiros is not good. Do you get the sense the Spiros is not good? Because that's what the sense I get. No, I wouldn't say that. Um, I haven't seen any issues with him. Obviously, the bail bill is out there, but I'm just kind of leaving that alone for simplicity's sake. Uh, you know, wait and see, but I haven't been disappointed or anything, I would say. Um, I think he certainly deserves credit just for willing to step up and run when sort of no one else would. Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly, I certainly appreciate the fact that, like, yeah, he stepped up and ran and beat Del Colo. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, like, is he is he is is he marginally better than Del Colo? I guess that's probably true. But I didn't expect him to be this bad. From, he I mean, voted against tenants' right to counsel. Yeah, he was the one Democrat who did, which was weird, because a quarter of his uh, constituents are renters. So. But again, that would make sense that he would do that just because th that's a... That's it doesn't like, make sense for him specifically. Like, why him and nobody else is my question. Um, yeah, that was random. That was one... Of, if I'd written about that more, I might have asked him about it. Which, but, you know, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and again, I, I just... I'm just... I mean... I feel like... I feel like somebody has to to be to be the, the, to like rain on everybody's parade. Well, his background is more the issue than what he's done so far. Wasn't it just like a union background? No, I thought he was like a union guy. No, he's connected with some of the unions, but he was a lobbyist. Like he was, he ran uh, either ran or was a part of one of the lobbying firms, and he was also the communications guy for the big. Uh, was it the refinery or one of the chemical companies that exploded? 
back in like 2005. Oh, yeah, I remember He that. was the main spokesperson what, what year was for that? them. Like 2003, 2005, I think. So like he has a background of, and he's a big Kathy uh, McGinnis person. Yeah, he was her chief of staff. Yeah. Right? Which is not so going to endear him to his um, his background is extremely. Sh- oh, he was um, Dave McBride's top policy person as well for a while. But let's just let's just put it this way: we have our we have our eye on you. We have our eye on everybody. Everybody should be on notice. I will start scurrilous fake rumors about all of you, except Spiros is not fake. I I I will just say that uh, in my limited interactions with Spiros, I've liked him personally but there have been few lawmakers that i've actually disliked i mean even i may very strongly disagree with their politics i could get along with them pretty well so you know i guess that doesn't necessarily mean much but and i do think that most of the people down in dover are doing things for the right reasons they just may have a very different conception of how things should be than you and i i'll tell you what i think i'm glad you're out of that job now you're not tough enough on those people you got to get in their face a little bit more they're all, uh, they're, they're all trying to keep their job. They're all trying to look good and do nothing. And you're just like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. Unbelievable. I know why you're doing it, because you're, you're, now you're going to have to work with these people on public uh, advocacy stuff. You're doing it to me, too. Biddle. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Unbelievable. Folks, we've come to the end of another, uh, another episode. I'm glad you uh, you tuned in. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up. I think, possibly, this week, for patrons only, there's going to be that late night session uh, that we did with Ty Greer. I'll tell you what, you think this was spicy? That was like, uh, that was a curry on a five. You know, one, two, three, five. That was a five. Might have been a six. Ghost pepper. We talk about, we talk a lot of shit, but it's going to, uh, you're going to have to be a member. $2, $5, $10 is really what you what you should do. You should go to patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Just kick in some dough. You know, help us do the work that we're doing. We're trying to we're trying to do uh, fun stuff. And I think this uh, this late night bonus episode with Ty is gonna be gonna be fun stuff. Uh, you know how to find us on Twitter at Highlands Bunker, DelawareCall.com. We just uh, released a uh, an excerpt from a from a book I have here, Phil Banikowski's book Yakurbo the Turco a novel in verses I can't reach it it's over on the table there um, I'm hoping to have him come in and, and talk about it um, there was a lot I really liked about it and I was kind of surprised um, I know um, poetry series can get a little dense for people it's a little bit abstract I feel that it's actually a little bit pretentious I'm not gonna lie um, I'm thinking about talking to Philip about it being a little pretentious he's probably gonna yell at me I'm sure um, but uh, it'll be fun anyway, but this is the kind of stuff we're doing. We're trying to uh, we're trying to give you a full variety of, of content. We're content creators, really. I mean, uh, Carl's a political organizer. I'm just a dipshit. Matt, thanks again. I very much appreciate it. Sure. Um, I wish you the best of luck. I think I think our paths for 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 various reasons are going to cross a lot more now. Um, so I'm glad you came in. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. Everyone, we'll speak to you soon. Left is best.